All right. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be. Thank you for joining us. Another episode of Catching Up with Jacob. And here he is uh, on the east side of this country, which we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Jacob Prash, how you doing, brother? Bit jet lag, but I'm with you all in the grace of the Lord. Wonderful to be here from my native New York. Amen. Well, it's good to be home sometimes, right, Jacob? Oh, I think we I lost, lost the connection. Frozen up. All right. We'll come back to Jacob in a moment. Uh, David Lister. Hello. It's good to be. I'm in Pittsburgh right now looking at downtown at the stadium um, from my hotel room. Uh, it's good to be here. Amen. Blessings to you, brother, on the East Coast. On the East Coast, hopefully the weather has gotten a little bit better. I, I think I, I did hear that. that it's yes, a lot it's better. 55 degrees. Oh, lovely. But next week, back down to 10. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm out of here. Do <laughs> <laughs> what you can. All right. Uh, Davey from Australia. How you doing, Davey? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good, thanks. Good morning on a Saturday morning to all those in Australia and New Zealand. God bless you guys. And uh, not too far from my house, Jay. How you doing, brother? Well, it's a beautiful, warm, sunny Californian day. The weather is perfect. And even though it's in January, it, the mountains are green. This is the reason why I live in California. I just wish there was a different governor. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. And Man, I, I can't put believe him... you weather-shamed all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I wish I could trade Newsom for a bag of peanuts, but um, I, I don't know. That, that, might, that might have to, you know, uh, shame on the peanuts. <laughs> uh, the peanuts have more worth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's good to have everybody here that are, are watching live. We thank you for joining us live, and we thank you for those who are going to be watching later. And uh, we appreciate you coming on uh, from YouTube to Vimeo to Facebook, uh, Facebook, yeah, Facebook to, uh, of course, we're on Telegram, and of course, we are Memorial.tv, MemorialTV.org, and on Rumble. And if you're on Rumble, we're going to be taking some questions at the end on the backstage aspect of our uh, conversation. It will be backstage on rumble so we as you go through the episode you can start sending your questions in for jacob and uh for david as well and uh it's going to be a really 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 good episode we have some really interesting topics it's uh you name it the world it is an upheaval and turbulent uh but we did want to start with some announcements before we get started uh david i think jacob's having trouble with his internet but i'm going to turn it over to you if there are some quick announcements you can make actually uh, i think he was going to talk about new york in Baltimore, yeah, he's, in Florida. So Jacob, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, yeah, Jacob is speaking at the Open Door on Saturday, January 27th at 7 p.m. Make sure you get there. Followed by Baltimore the next day at 3 p.m. at New Life Assembly. But Jacob, as he starts uh, our fellowship drive on February 10th, we're at the Massey Foundation in Texas, uh, Limestone County. It's from, on February 10th from six o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. We don't have a topic yet, but we'll be talking about uh, that really soon. Jacob is followed the next day there in uh, in Texas on Sunday the 11th at 10 a.m. at Creekside Christian Retreat, uh, Retreat in Mexica, M-E-X-I-A, Texas. All the information, contact information is on here. And then... Also, Jacob, on the 18th, he is coming to Dover, Tennessee. He'll be on one of a Zoom meeting at the Bible Education Center. That's where I'm 
today or later today meeting with the elders, but he will be taking on a topic. And then um, we may have another place the day before we're in Nashville. We're working on it. Then Jacob is going down to Crystal River, Florida for a, for a fellowship drive plan. This has become a fellowship that has grown to week monthly meetings and is doing real well. That'll be on February 25th at 10 a.m. until 12. And that is at the Plantation Resort. Uh, contact information is there. And then also, we are going down to Southern Florida, where Jacob and all of us will be meeting uh, uh, March 1st from 10 to noon uh, each day. I guess it's uh, on the 3rd. We'll have to straighten that out a little bit, the times. And so... And then Jacob's coming your way, Marco. And oh, yeah. Along with David Rosetto at the Community Church of DeVore, the 9th and 10th for teaching sessions. Uh, Marco will be telling us the topics pretty soon. So, yeah, it'd be a lot of fun to have Dave here and Jacob for the first I mean, Dave's been in our church a few times, but uh, he'll be speaking. Uh, with Jacob. It would be a great blessing to have Dave. Always a great blessing to have Jacob. So 9th and 10th, we're looking forward to that. I look forward to seeing David myself. I'll be out there hanging around. So He's a wonderful brother, and may the Lord richly bless him in his fellowship there in New York, and uh, hopefully we can visit him soon. So that, that would be awesome. Um, well, that that's uh, a packed schedule, David, a packed schedule. Yeah. And um, I know that we wish we can join you in Texas. Uh, uh, I guess you could say my second hometown before I moved to California, but uh, lots of stuff going on in Texas. We'll talk about that today. Plus, plus uh, the uh, Mantides should still be there in Crystal River. And uh, and I guess the Spring Bakers are coming down <laughs> there and to, towards Miami and David. So. Oh, yeah. Well, you yeah. know, that's where a lot of our family. I had to are. wait till I'm 70 to go to Spring Break. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess there's no time like the present, I guess. So uh, 70 years old and uh and uh, uh it's spring break. No, no, I think I'm really we'll have a lot of witnessing opportunities. Amen. That's what we that's exactly what you do. That's exactly what you do. Amen to that. Uh, any more announcements? I think the podcast uh should be out soon. Uh, uh Jay, you want to talk a little bit about the podcast just where people can go. Um, we don't have the schedule at this time, but just where people can go and find out more about it. Oh, yeah. I always advise people, this is not a, uh, you don't have to take my advice on it, but, you know, if they do control the internet, which that's the plan of the globalist elite, uh, it would be good to have a flash drive or a hard drive not connected to the internet. And uh, and, and now you can download a lot of materials uh, on the internet. So if you want to get something, get it, put it in there. And uh, as Jay said, use it later. Uh, put your Bible on a PDF. If you don't have a hardcore, uh, you know, just a paperback Bible, put it on a PDF. It'll... It'll come in handy, put it in a hard drive. So uh, this is not fear-mongering, but just the reality of um, of our world. I mean, censored. Yeah, a lot of things are censored. You know, we've been saying that, David, for like, you know, like 12, 13 years ago, we were talking about, hey, watch out for censorship. It's coming. People didn't right. think about it, didn't believe it. It was all free. Everything was fine. Now people realize that, okay, yeah, it's a lot harder now than it was before. And, um, and, and that's where, um, that's you know, where one thing I like to mention here for these Marco is Moriel has a recommended reading list. And I, I have all those books myself personally. So I would encourage everybody to go on there. It starts from the youngest 
If you're a young believer, you could start there with those books and then goes all the way down to mature believers. You probably haven't read a lot of these books, and if you have, you need to reread them to remind <laughs> you of, of the goodness of Christ and how to become a mature Christian, knowing what you believe, knowing why you believe it, and then having the ability to give that faith away. That's right. That's right. And it's so much needed. We're going to talk about our church issues today and how to apply God's word uh, toward the end. Uh, Jacob, do you have any, uh, we, we just went through the announcements. Any other announcements uh, that you may have on your mind? We talked about Baltimore, New York, Florida, Texas, California. Uh, yes, well, well, they can get the California details from Pastor Marco Quintana. Yep. Details. They're on the website, Jacob. David Lister. But they can get the New York and Baltimore details right now from me here in New York City tomorrow. Door, Third Avenue and Seventh uh, Street, East Seventh Street in the East Village, opposite Cooper Church with the open door with Pastor Dave Rosetto tomorrow at seven thirty at his memorial affiliated church, and then on Sunday afternoon, church. Open door in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland, Sunday afternoon. Uh, with Pastor Jerry Collins, we shall. After that, we'll be traveling to Florida and to Texas and to California. But if you're in the New York area or Washington, Baltimore area, hope we can see you this weekend. Yeah, and, and, Jacob. Uh, Dave said to put seven o'clock for Saturday. Maybe he's going to let you teach a little longer. Okay. Seven o'clock tomorrow night in New York City. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, since all the announcements uh, have been committed now to memory, hopefully everybody got the recording. Let's catch up, Jacob. The divided states of America. Is this a Fort Sumter moment? The Supreme Court has ruled five four on behalf of the Biden administration that Texas has to take down any barbed wire, anything blocking the uh, invasion that's coming in. Republican governors support Texas. Texas taking it, uh, putting it back up. Now we have a stand. We have a standoff. The, uh, the Biden administration gave uh, about an hour ago uh, the 24-hour ex expiration that Texas has to, you know, basically vacate that area, Texas troopers, and allow the feds to take over that area. Uh, Jacob, we live in interesting times, but nothing more interesting than this. What do you think of the standoff? The technical argumentation in itself is faulty. The federal government need to protect the states constitutionally against any invasion. And what we're seeing is an invasion, not just of illegal immigrants, but of narco-terror combined with human trafficking and fentanyl trafficking. Um, and also the quite probable infiltration by the FBI's own admission of agents of the Chinese government who are of military serving age and of narco-terrorists, of course, but also of Islamic terrorists. The FBI is warning about this. This is the language of invasion. The federal government is not supporting the state's constitution. That's right. But we have an enemy of the constitution, as the, I believe, is an enemy of the constitution. He's proven himself to be that on more than one occasion. I speak of Roberts, the rhino Republican. Oh, yeah. Bush. He took congressional legislation, Obamacare, realizing it was unconstitutional for the federal government to force people to purchase insurance. And he took the legislation and rewrote it as a tax, completely unconstitutionally. He should have been impeached and removed at that point. 
The man is unfit to be a dog catcher, let alone a judge, let alone on the Supreme Court. That man is an absolute shame and a disgrace to the American judiciary. But what do you expect from a rhino appointed by Bush? Hmm. What is disappointing is Barrett um, appointed by Donald Trump. Yeah, Amy Comey Barrett. Has never been a good judge of character. That has been one of his weaknesses. He's appointed people who he never should have and who in the end turned on him. He's done that more than once, not just with John Bolton. He's done now with Barrett. He he has not been a good judge of character. He stood up for Fauci during COVID. Yeah. He actually stood up initially for Fauci. Donald Trump is not a good judge of character. In his thinking, as a businessman, if you agree with me, you're all right. If you don't, you're not. Well, he appointed Nikki Haley as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Now he's at total ideological odds with them. He appointed these people. This is one of his consistent weaknesses as a leader. Only thing is, as a businessman and a property developer in Manhattan, where I am at the moment, you can say you're fired. When you say that as president of the United States, there is political fallout associated with it. And somebody like a Supreme Court justice, you cannot get rid of. No, it's a lifetime position. You cannot get rid of them very easily. And it just goes to what I, I, I always say. The Republican Party is no good any more than the Democratic Party is no good. Neither are any good. The only thing you can say is there are some genuine conservatives and libertarians in the Republican Party, people like Ted Cruz and so forth, Senator John Kennedy perhaps, but certainly not the mainstream Republican Party or the RNC leadership or Mitch McConnell or any of that. Yeah. A Republican is nothing but a Democrat who sits on the opposite side of the aisle. Roberts is right up there, and Barron is right up there with the others, with the three Democrat left-wing extremist women. We have Mr. Leto, we have Clarence Thomas, we have Mr. Gorsuch, we have them at the foot Kavanaugh. of the screen. Yeah. And Mr. Kavanaugh at the foot of the screen. Okay. Betrayal by the Republican Party. Betrayal by the rhinos, betrayal by Roberts and Barron, but particularly Roberts. It is just the Republican Party being the Republican Party. It is no good. It's any good since Abraham Lincoln. It's just a bad party. It's not even the lesser of two evils. A lesser of two evils is an evil no less. It's just no mm -hmm. good. Christians yep. need to wake up and understand that. Yeah. Now, hey, say, we're not going to protect the border. But if yeah. you do it, it's a law because it's the state's <laughs> job, it's the federal government's job. Yeah. That is that is constitutionally not even true. Yeah. But yeah, you know, one thing with Haley, the reason she got so popular at the UN is because she was voicing Donald Trump's 
um, policies. That's and right. so that's, that's right. how she got popular is people thought, oh, man, she's tough. She's good. <laughs> but she was just a voice, a puppet for, for, you know, for Trump. And now people think she's tough, but she's in the pocket with the defense complex, had uh, taken mil- – as soon as she left governor, she was over there in Boeing taking multi-million dollar contracts. Boeing is, is defense contracting. So, you know, she's a big rhino. Yeah, how come all the women voted for the Biden administration? I'm not sure why that happened. At least all the yeah. all the ones that like men. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's a different story there. Um, Roberts votes against it. Amy Comey Barrett votes against Texas. It's an invasion. It's quite clear. Article four, section four of the Constitution: the United States shall guarantee every state in the union a republican form of government, and it shall protect each of them against an invasion. Very clear, Article 4, no doubt. Uh, Jacob, that they're supposed to protect their citizens. Uh, we have the National uh, uh, the National Guard, which is under the governor. Right now, the Dems are pushing Biden to take over the National Guard. We haven't seen this in about 70 years since the Eisenhower days and the Little yes. Rock line. And uh, do you think this is going to happen on, a, on, a, on an election year? This is, this is quite a standstill right now. When Eisenhower did it, Okay, Eisenhower was a rhino, that's for sure. But when he did it, it was over the issue of the unjust segregation of schools in the American. That's right. That's right. That was different. He was Republican, and he did it over the issue of unjust segregation of schools. Now you have a Democrat doing it over the issue of illegal immigration in support of the illegal immigration. Yeah. We have not seen anything coming to this point like this, not since Eisenhower, but since the Civil War, since Abraham Lincoln. I'm not saying it's as serious as Fort Sumter, but nothing like this has happened since Fort Sumter. That's a good point. Very good point. Now, uh, Texas is telling ranchers that, okay, they're they're not going to go with the SCOTUS decision. They're going to put wire back up. They're telling private citizens to put them up. Uh, you got 25 state governors, including uh, Chris Chino from South uh, South Dakota, uh, yep. to pro- promise I'm going to put the wire myself. Uh, the Biden administration gave about an hour ago the ultimatum. Uh, National Guard. I mean, boy, it is, just seems to be like the left wants to turn the uh, the National Guard against its citizens. This is, you know, I wonder what soldiers would do at this There's point. Something I mean, else also. Yeah. It's already begun in certain, well, Houston was a lost cause anyway. They took the Democratic population, the mainly minority population, from Hurricane Katrina and moved most of it as much as they could to Houston. Yes. Okay. Then, of course, the illegal immigrant population coming into Texas and they have taken California exiles into Austin. Walking into Austin. They're trying to turn Texas into a what color state? Blue. Blue. They're trying yeah. to turn Texas blue, and they need the Ill- illegal immigrants to do it because so many second and, and, and third generation Hispanic Americans, Los Pochos, are voting Republican or voting conservative. They're That's against true. illegal immigration. That's what this is about. Yeah, you're absolutely open borders, invasion of Texas, Constitution. Uh, Trump calls for all states to deploy National Guards to Florida, Oklahoma, Florida. 
I'm sorry, to Texas. Oklahoma and Florida have uh, uh, promised to do so. Uh, now, Jacob, you had this um, Alex Soros at the World Economic Forum going after Trump, saying he is the impediment to their globalism and what they want, because he took it all away when he became president. Then he posts this crazy image of $47 with a bullet hole next to it. Uh, as it were, many people took it as calling yeah. for the assassination of the 47th president, yes. um, who many people think will be Trump. Uh, George Soros, Alex Soros, enemy of the world. And they're enemies of Christians, for sure. They they, they persecute Christians. They pay for the persecution of Christians. Uh, Jacob, your thought on Alex, more dangerous than George? George is a villain, an absolute villain. Villain. Many would argue he's betrayed the Jewish people. He is certain, as, as a Jew, during the Holocaust, he has certainly betrayed the interests of America. He absolutely is an absolute, uncompromised villain. This is for sure. His son seems to be an imbecile version of his father. Yes. He is incoherent. He He's an incoherent babbler. Um, who's who's got access, has access to his old man's money. That's all he is. Quite a bit of money, yeah. That's crazy. Um, he, he he definitely has drug problems, cocaine, prostitution. You just, know, like, it's, just like Hunter Biden. Pretty much, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I think it's pretty much one side of the other coin. Yes. But he is totally, Jacob, absolutely well, just enraged. Listen to him. He can't, he, he's like a junior Joe Biden. He can't even speak coherently. He's obviously an imbecile. He but says he's much he's more aggressive. Go ahead, he's uh, much, David. He's much more aggressive than George Soros, his father was, because he's he's willing to just go out there and charge and do all these things, while he believed his father was conservative on doing these things. So that's right. That's right. So he's and a lot he more radical with globalism yeah. and open borders. His yeah. father at least had the, how be it deep sense his goals by doing it in a low-key gentlemanly manner the kid doesn't have the brains to do that he's yeah yeah he's definitely dangerous uh david uh that post with that uh the 47 dollars and the bullet hole on it i, I mean I, I not reading too much into it he he has called for donald trump to be removed now he, albeit he hasn't said it in those ways, but he, he likes to post little things like that. Um, how dangerous is this, uh, Alex Soros, for open borders, globalism, in your opinion? Well, it's the assassination of a president is not. This is not the first one that was over political purposes. If this is what this means, right. you know. So, uh, but it has been discussed that if he's there. They got to get rid of him. Some are even suggesting before the election that mm. he's mm. taken out. So this is terrible talk and everything. And I would hate to see it happen uh, to Mr. Trump. But it's it's look, the assassination, the use of assassination by our CIA is nothing new. That's correct. No, no. no. I, I, if I could just, just listen to Robert Kennedy's son, what he's saying. Now, he's somebody born into the Democratic Party establishment. His family are icons of the Democratic Party. Listen to what he says about the CIA and the presidential assassinations 
of his father and his uncle. Just listen to what he's saying. This is Robert Kennedy Jr. This is a Kennedy from the Kennedy family. Iconic within the Democratic Party. Listen to what he's saying. Yes, I do think they could attempt an assassination of Trump. In desperation, they have politically motivated bogus charges and criminal prosecutions. Why wouldn't they do what they've done before? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Jake. They could use these people that are controlled with drugs, like uh, what's that MK Ultra that they've yeah. warped their minds, and they can get them to do things, you know. And and at the end of the day, they just say, "Oh, it was just some radical mentally wolf. person." <laughs> Lone wolf. Yeah. I, go ahead, I, Jake. I just would like to point out: this is how worthless and disgusting our FBI is. They can go and take away guns from a family uh, and rush in while the children are there and mm. investigate them and search and seize them. They can go into an old man's home and raid it. But when it comes to a real threat from a very rich and powerful person that could pay assassins, posting something that is can only be construed as a threat against a person that potentially will be president... The fact that the FBI is not knocking on Soros's door tells me mm. all I need to know about the FBI. Or the That's Secret right. Service. That's right, yeah. Now, uh, ex-FBI and DHS uh, officials have urged Congress that an invasion, it's, on, it's, it's, it's already happening. They need to really act on it. Of course, Congress is very slow at doing it. But uh, Trump's calling for you know uh, states to deploy National Guard. Oklahoma did it. They're deploying it now. Uh, we'll see what's going to happen. Maybe at the end of this episode, we'll have more information, especially with the New Hampshire primaries already completed. Jacob, he's got the most votes of any any uh, candidate ever in New Hampshire primaries. He's got a lot of votes in a state that normally you wouldn't think that he would. That's correct. And what was the number one issue in polling the voters in New Hampshire, which is a purple state that is more blue than it is red? Mm. Don't forget the southern section of the southern, at least the southern quarter, if not the southern third of New Hampshire, is a suburb of Boston. Yeah, that's right. Ultra liberal. Right. Ultra yeah. liberal. In fact, many of the people who live there are from Massachusetts and from Ooh. Boston. Mm. Um, who left for tax reasons or things like this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that, that's part of the stupidity of the left. They will leave California to escape what's happened with the taxation and the crime, but then they'll go bring those policies with them when they go to Texas. Well, it's the same thing. They'll flee Massachusetts to New Hampshire to get away from what the Democratic Party has done to, to Massachusetts and to Boston, but they'll bring those politics with them. That's part of their stupidity. You know, um, it's endemic with them. But yes, absolutely, that is the case. They're desperate, and desperate people will do desperate things. No, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, Jacob, let's switch gears to the UK, your home. Um, obviously, British sometimes. Army Chief, sometimes, yeah, <laughs> British Army Chief uh, Sir Patrick Sanders mobilizing <laughs> citizens to prepare for war against Russia. This is the second time he said it. He said it two years ago. He said it was a 1937 moment. Now he says it's a 1939 moment, mobilizing citizens against Russia. Uh, yeah. Is he talking conscription, Jacob? Is the situation has gotten so bad that now you have NATO, Sweden, and the UK chief uh, army chief saying 
we got to get ready. Let's understand something. That apart from Great Britain, continental Europe, the NATO powers of Europe, piggybacked on Uncle Sam. In their heritage of, of, of cowardice, France withdrew from NATO and hid on back of America and Britain during the Cold War. They pulled their troops out of NATO, not leaving the alliance, but leave, taking all their troops out. This was France. In the Cold War, the United States spent more money to defend Europe than Europe did, even as the European economy and, and became wealthy after the Marshall Plan, after America be, rebuilt Europe after the war, they prospered the way to, to the, the conflict in Yugoslavia with the Serbs. Who did it? The Americans and the British. Yep. Basically, the Houthis in, in, in the Red Sea, the Americans and British. The British. They've gotten a free ride for began to happen. He said, enough is enough. We won the Cold War, protect the Second World War, and you're still wanting us to pick up the bill for your self-defense when you won't pay your own share. percent supposed to do it. He said, this is going to stop. Well, they are afraid if he gets reelected, mm. not going Very to talk Americans anymore. Yep. That is what it comes to. And Great Britain is stuck between a rock and a hard place. That's Geographically, right. it's on one side of the Atlantic. America's on the other. But culturally and politically, they're in the middle. They're neither European nor American. They're stuck in the middle. Even though they're closer in their strategic and political thinking to the Americans, that's the situation that, that, that it's in. Sweden is going into major defense mobilizations. Donald Trump has brought about a situation where these countries are being forced since the invasion of, of, of Ukraine right, to begin to pay their fair share and to pick up the cost for their own continental and national defense. That is what is driving a large amount of this thinking. Hmm. Now, Great Britain is sending a signal. It's undoubtedly something being done in concert with Washington. Be that as it may, Britain has demilitarized to a dangerous point. Yes. Britain could not do what it did in the Falklands War again. It does not have the military capacity to liberate the Falcons again. If the Falcons happened again tomorrow, the British couldn't do anything about it. Mm. After Thatcher and after the end of the Cold War, they over-demilitarized. Yes. yes. To spend more money on entitlement programs and on funding illegal immigrants from Muslim countries and other garbage that shouldn't be paid for by the British taxpayer. But that's what's happened. Yeah. They've gone too far for too long, too low. And the catch-up game is not going to be that easy. No, now, they got, uh... it does have quite a military history. It does have an excellent version of West Point called Sandhurst. And yeah. it does have... Um, good technology and engineering. It really does. It punches well above its weight in those fields. It always has. Many of the main technologies that won the Second World War, apart from the nuclear, apart from the Manhattan Project, things like radar, 
um, were invented initially by the British. The first computer to break German codes at Bletchley Park was, was a British invention, primarily British. Um, they've always had this good science and technology. They have the capacity to do it. The question is the cost and how much time do they have to do it? But that is the situation. Donald Trump scared Europe, scared mm. NATO. Mm. The armed forces, uh, in, in terms of British um, uh, depletion, the depletion of the strength, the Royal Navy is down 4% from last year. The Army is down 5% from last year. The RAF down almost 5% again from last year. So the depletion rate, it's going really, really fast. Jacob, do you think conscription... You think the royal uh, the, the the Brits are going to go into conscription? It may not be conscription into the royal army, but it may be conscription into a militia called the territorial army, roughly mm. the equivalent of the American National Guard. That wow. is something I could see for youth. Um, I could also see stepped up um, tuition assistance programs for college students and things like this, like American ROTC. Yeah. I can see them doing things like that. I live when I'm in Britain. I live in Surrey, but I live near the Hampshire border, not far from a place called Aldershot. Aldershot is the headquarters of the British Army. It's the home of the British Army. Um, you see fewer, you see a lot less soldiers now on mm. the streets. And you used to see them all over. Banks, supermarkets, you see them with their families, you see them with uniforms. You see a lot less now than you used to. The, the Gurkhas are still there, but you see a lot less British military now than you used to. After the Cold War, many of the American bases closed down. Mildenhall is still there, and Lackenheath is still there. But the, the one in Oxfordshire is closed down. The submarine base in Scotland is closed down. America, Britain, NATO closed down a lot of the American bases in Britain after the end of the Cold War. Now there's a new reality. Or are they going to open them again? Well, that's a good question. But if Donald Trump is elected, he's saying, okay, but you're not going to do it only at our expense. You're going to pay your fair share. We're not going to do it. And that's what it's coming to. Yeah. What is ironic is that applies less to Britain than it does to the continental powers like Germany, Holland, and especially France, Italy. Um, Britain has always pretty much paid most of its fair share um, and put up the troops um, with the Americans because of the special relationship, the strategic part, Anglo-American alliance was stronger than yeah. was, was, the French was, or German, yeah. You have to understand yeah. something in geopolitics, strategically, it is the five eyes and it is the Anglo-American as it's Australia, New Zealand, it's Canada, Britain, and America. That is the real core of the Western defense. Everything is um, but what is now orbital is having to cough up for the first time. To think that Sweden, of all countries... Yeah, that's a, that's a surprise. Finland joining NATO. 740 miles with Russia, a border. Finland. Now even Ireland, another neutral country, is talking about joining NATO. This has not happened before. And I have no doubt it's the policies of Donald Trump that has caused it, and I have no doubt that it is Putin's aggression that has caused it. Yeah. No doubt it's a big threat. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I was just, I think it's really interesting. This general said, uh, 
1937 moment, well, Britain and Europe were not ready, even at that point, two and three years out, even though they were being warned by Churchill. But right. when it gets to 39, you're talking the World War of Europe started in September, September 1st, if my memory is right. So he's talking just months away, possibly, right. which kind of what we've been saying, Marco, that something terrible could happen before the election. Right. So, I was, I was, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, we just got documentation that the, for the first time in 15 years, the U.S. is going to uh, actually station nuclear weapons in the U.K., uh, it's going to be in Lankenheath and Suffolk. Lankenheath yeah, and Suffolk. Lankenheath. Uh, yeah. The warheads, they're going to be nuclear warheads, three times the strength of the Hiroshima bomb. Uh, I guess this is to counter some of the threats that Russia has been, uh, or Putin has been putting out since he went to Kaliningrad. So uh, things yield. are moving that direction in 15 you know, years. The Russians, done in 15 years. In the last days of the Soviet Union, when they were getting desperate, they began deploying um, SS-20 missiles pointed at targets in Europe and Britain. Carter was a weak president. It was really Margaret Thatcher who had the gumption. But even Carter said, look, we can't have this without a response. Right. The left and the Committee of Nuclear Disarmament, the British left, were protesting against <laughs> Americans and against Thatcher and all this stuff. Okay. But the Americans, for once, America said, look, this is the reality. Yeah, enough is enough. At, 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 at a Greenham Common, where 101st Airborne took off for on D-Day, was an American base um, near Newbury in England, um, west, of, west of London, well, west of London. And they deployed cruise missiles. The Americans deployed cruise missiles at Greenham Common. And the left were protesting it, all these... Radical lesbian organizations were protesting at everything. <laughs> it was absolutely nuts. Okay. But Thatcher stood up to them. Mm. Reagan stood up, whether you like him or not. Carter even stood up, whether you like him or not. The Soviets were in a new Cold War. It went from there to Star Wars. And then there was the threat of the deployment of the neutron bomb. Mm. The Russians couldn't win a Cold War economically. They could right. not do cold, I, I, an escalated arms race, rather, economically. It was one of the things that heralded the beginning of the demise of the Soviet Union. They got into right. another arms race with the West, particularly with the Americans and British, that they could simply not win. Okay? <clears throat> those missiles, those cruise missiles, they were removed at the end of the Cold War. Yeah. <laughs> now they're talking about putting those kind of oh, yeah. weapons back. Yeah, in 2008, they were removed because the threat from Moscow was seemed to be diminished. Yes. Now yes. they're back. 2024, yes. they're back. So full, uh, Suffolk. Is that how you pronounce it? Suffolk? Yeah, Lankenheath. Suffolk. 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 Yeah. Suffolk. Suffolk okay. and, and Lankenheath. Yeah, how far is that from your place, Jacob? A couple hours, two, two and a half okay. hours. Yeah, interesting stuff, man. Oh, we just got word. Texas National Guard moving forward. Abbott is refusing to comply. So that's the latest on that. So uh, lots of stuff, man. Lots of stuff going on. But I did want to mention the uh, the, the South Korea Japan yes. uh, U.S. connection. It's really interesting because they're moving in that direction, conducting large scale exercises, which even has Moscow and North Korea very concerned. Jacob, uh, obviously Sullivan is there. I think he just had to be there. 
Japan, it seems to be reluctant. Korea really wants this to happen because uh, North Korea is not playing games. Uh, Kim Jong is uh, testing nuclear missiles, I mean, testing yes. missiles left and right. It's a big problem with Korea. They got some problems with their own government. Uh, another lawmaker was attacked. Uh, I think it was the uh, one of the the, pros the prospects of prime minister. I think he was from the opposite party was stabbed. I think yeah. Korea wants to get this done. So your thoughts on, on Asia and East Asia and what's going on there? First of all, China, North Korea and Putin, Russia all know that Jake Sullivan is a useless nitwit. They all know that. They all. Know that. Yeah. They, why is he there? I mean, I mean that's the best we got. Well, they, they need somebody to try to negotiate trying to support and stopping the Houthis. <laughs> they couldn't find anybody, yeah. any good man in heels. He's one of the people who pulled the strings that control Biden. Biden's not doing anything. He's too sent out. Wasn't uh, Jake from the Obama administration, right? He was yeah, also yeah, yeah. These are all Obama's yeah. people. Like Susie, he's like a white male version of Susan Rice. That's all. You know, an incompetent political operator. That gives a bad name to males around the world. No, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But anyway, they, they, they know this. However, even stupid, you know, if you corner a cat, a cat will fight. Here yes. is what they're really afraid of. Taiwan elected Taiwan's president. Yes. Who's now extending conscription um, mandatory service in the military yep. for a year. One year, yeah. is anti-communist. Okay, that's what they're afraid of. They're not afraid of Jake Sullivan. They're afraid of Taiwan. <laughs> that's what they're afraid of. Mm. And they're afraid That'll of Trump. fight back. Yeah, that's right. And they're afraid of Trump. Yeah. You know, you know nobody, being afraid of Jake Sullivan is like being afraid of a mouse. You know, it's, it's, it's just going to run away. He, he's into the whole thing with, with Austin. The priority of the military is climate change and, and DEI. You know, yes. he's he's one of those kinds of useless people. He's just a useless individual, completely useless. They don't fear him, but they fear the outcome. Marco, yeah, if, they, if and, you could, can you show yeah. that picture of the three uh, gentlemen shaking their hands? Because I just want to point this out. Because you know, body oh, language is, is is very meaningful. Yes. Yeah. It's everything, yeah. Let, let's uh, let's see if I can find it. I think we had it. Oh, that's there it. It is. Right there. So I, yeah. I just want to point this one out real quick. In the center, you have the South Korean. You have Jake Sullivan smiling. South Korea is very open and warm with him. Look at Japan. Look at that face. That face is screaming. <laughs> what? What am I doing here? Why am I? <laughs> what am I signing up for? <laughs> what am I signing up for? That uh, is the other thing that they're afraid of. Japan is, for the first time since the end of the Second World War, rearming. Re not just defensively, yes. but with an oh, offensive capacity. Fast, yeah. And they've been doing this I mean, for a few years got, now. I mean, yeah. they've got financial problems, but they have the technological base to do it. Yeah. Something else has happened. And it, although it's economic, it has political ramifications and strategic implications. Because of the economy of China. Japan, Tokyo has now retaken the number one slot as the biggest stock market in Asia now. Interesting, the Nikkei, okay. It's, it, it's jumped over Shanghai. Shanghai, Shanghai wow. no longer the biggest economy. 
Now, China displaced Japan as the economic dynamo of Asia, certainly. But the Tokyo stock market has overtaken Shanghai again. Hmm. That is another thing that sends shockwaves to China. Yeah. Yes. Big concern. Uh, Jacob, should we make a, anything out of what's going on in South Korea with the stabbing of the lawmaker yes. and now the stabbing of the opposition leader? Yeah, uh, they've always had this kind of stuff going back to Park. And don't forget, the North Korean government in Burma was assassinating um, people outside of North Korea. Um, the North Koreans even had representatives, even though they're not a member of the UN, they have representative office in Manhattan, where I am now. Oh, wow. And they had diplomatic officers assigned to the UN by North Korea trying to intimidate South Korean citizens in New York protesting North Korea. Um, they're quite aggressive. And and didn't he just uh, say that uh, not getting food to Gaza, he stuck his nose in the Far East, into the Middle East? Oh, yeah. <laughs> would, he would be looked upon unfavorably by... Okay. He always needs cash. His ways of getting cash in North Korea, because they don't have any, one is they export what amounts to slave labor. The, the, the North Korean government gets paid the wages due to these people who are very lowly, low paid, who go to other countries like China and Russia to work. Okay. They, they export labor and, and, and the money goes to the North Korean government, it doesn't go to the labor. They get very little. Secondly, they counterfeit U.S. dollars. Oh, the I think they're the largest counterfeit. counterfeiters, are they, in the world? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. correct. Third thing they do to get money is now they're selling, exporting arms. Mm. They're selling arms to Russia to fight in Ukraine. Yeah. Now this testifies to the fact that Russian industry and the Russian economy and the Russian military is in trouble. Hey, if you got to depend. It's going to Iran and North Korea for weapons. That makes a statement in itself about the state of Russia. Yeah. But it's foreign exchange to North Korea. And to them, foreign exchange is everything. Mm. It's interesting. At one point over the last 10 years, there was some hope that there would be this re reunification of Korea, uh, South and North. Yeah. Now it seems so improbable oh, at this point. Yes. They're just so far gone with wars, with you know extreme things happening in the United States and Russia in Europe, conscription. But Jacob, also, there's food war. Food war in Europe, it's on an uproar now. You got Germans, uh, farmers, Dutch farmers, Belgian farmers. Now we got French farmers and French truck drivers just completely taking it to the street with literal manure being sprayed at Macron's home, Macron's palace at the uh, in Paris. Farmers are being absolutely rebellious, they, uh, Macron says, because they're willfully ignoring his orders. Their livelihoods are being destroyed, of course, and this is why this is happening. Uh, as we discussed many times earlier, truck drivers that join it because they don't—they're not getting paid anything. You got zero emissions coming up, which is going to destroy their job. Uh, I guess the French know how to protest. I—I didn't ever see this from United States farmers, but they are taking it to the streets. They know how to fight with trucks like nobody in the world. <laughs> They've done it many times. Yeah, remember the yellow vest protest? Yeah, they, 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 protest yeah. they, that was how their uh, their republic was uh, founded in uh, revolution. There you go. Always a Take historical connection. 
France almost had a revolution in 1968. Hmm. Tell me about that one. And de Gaulle resigned in the aftermath of it when he wanted to decentralize. Hmm. But de Gaulle was out of there. They had a revolution wow. in 1968. Just the riots and the students and everything. I mean, France had a near revolution in, in, wow. in, in the 60s. Mick Jagger was in Paris at the time and he was looking out the window of the hotel with the riots and everything and he wrote the song Street Fighting Man. Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was a big deal at the time. Wow. Well, if they don't quelch this one down, which I don't think see any any quelching of this, okay, it's going to This is to... potentially, not counting the Muslim riots and the Van Leer, that's something yeah. different. Yeah. This is, this is the biggest threat to the, to the Republic in France since 1968. Wow. You know, I just had a thought, and I don't know if you guys think I'm crazy about this, but it, it, prior to 2020, 2018, 2019, we had all these protests, the, the Yellow Vest protests, you got Taiwan, you got protests against China and Hong Kong, and all of a sudden 2020 came and they locked the world down and you didn't see any protests until now. That's right. You know, any connections with the, you know, you think the globalists just wanted to squelch all this down and, and could they try this again, David? Will they try it again? They're always looking for to exploit a crisis that they create. Yeah. So it's not unusual, you know, um, for this to happen. You, you have so, the head of the, the the WHO, Tedros, who's now calling for the complete control of food systems in the world. Yes. No wonder people are protesting. I mean, the who controlling the food supply of the world? This is part in of the America, Americans seem like they're asleep on this. When I talk to people about this, they look at me like I'm a conspiracy nut. <laughs> you know, like, well, what are you talking about? Who taking over and taking over our laws and everything? You know, there these people at the World Economic Forum are openly talking about promoting all this, and they have the money and the funds and the political connections to make it happen. He you says, see, Tedros says, if we don't do anything, we're going to kill people. But in the process, we're going to save people. Well, kill well, people. well, Marco, they already have a plan for that. That's you, you talked about it earlier. The excess population will be drafted to go to war with Russia. Ooh. Yes. Oh man! Cannon fodder. Yep, this is all making sense. Jacob, smoke a uh, 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 shocking scenario in in Wales. Falling yeah. jobs, fifty five job, fifty five hundred jobs are being lost because of the climate change yeah. and the <sighs> pollution. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, in Wales, that's a lot of people. I was going to say that's it, it comes on the heels of three thousand steel workers being laid off at oh. Wales' biggest steel plant. Oh man! Uh, now you're talking altogether over eighty five. 100 people, and you can always with spinoff jobs nearly double that. So you're oh. talking about 15,000 people. That, that is a lot of layoffs in a country the size of Wales. A what lot. is Rishi Sunak going to do? I mean, he's got an election coming up. That's right. Now, oh. Wales normally votes left-wing anyway, but... That, okay, yeah. <laughs> Which is going to make the Labour Party even more powerful, right? Uh, Potentially. Yeah. Potentially now, now uh, Ursula, which is unelected, Ursula von der Leyen in Europe says, "Well, this is the right time to bring the digital ID." So you got food riots, you got war, 
and out of all things, we got to bring CBDCs and a digital ID to Europe in which you're going to have to pay your taxes through this. You're going to have to even, if you want to buy a bike, if you want to rent a bike, I guess that's what she better probably said better. If you want to rent a bike, you're going to have to have an ID and CBDCs. If you want to get on the internet, you're going to have a digital ID. Uh, Jacob, are you are you down for this dog tag? Are you talking about uh, Nikki Haley's policies? Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Oh, no. oh, yeah. What those words, too. Yeah. It's going to make a big mess for people living in England. Oh. Um, yep. Cyprus and Ireland won't be included in it, but what's known as the Schwenden countries will be, and that's most of Europe apart from Romania. Um, it'll even involve countries like Switzerland, Norway, and things like this, who are not really EU. Um, it's going to be a big mess, and it's about control. Now, notice something. When Congress, when Biden asks for more money for the border, he uses the money to process <laughs> the illegal immigrants for release. <laughs> yes, catch and release. Catch and release. The border. He's using it for, for paper shuffling, for processing illegal immigrants for release. That's what he does. Okay. Well, it, this is the same kind of thing. They're not stopping the illegal immigration of Syrians and Muslims and people coming over from Africa into Southern Europe. They're not doing anything about the illegal immigration or people coming across the English Channel or anything like nothing about the ones being funneled in through Turkey because of Erdogan. None of that. They're <laughs> doing diversion from what divert away from addressing the real problem, which is illegal immigration from the Muslim world and the Afro-Muslim world. That's the real threat. But to avoid having to deal with the real issue, they're making another issue. It's not going to do anything to solve or address the real problem. It's absurd. You know, yeah. 10 million is... illegal immigrants have already come across under Biden. 10 million yeah but you know what what happens in italy what happens in europe is just as bad it's the same yeah. thing yeah oh, I, I agree remember Gaddafi said before they killed him says if you got rid of me if you kill me it's gonna unleash a flood yep. of immigration into yep. europe that you've never seen before so crisis emergency calamity green energy illegal immigration climate and change and they're trying to get money by any europe is in trouble financially of course they're trying to get money by any means they can so they're going to make people pay for these things. Yeah. They're going to pay seven euros, and it's good for three years or something. Anything to pick up a few bucks. <laughs> so, it, reminds me, it reminds me of the Beatles movie, A Hard Day's Night, where Paul McCartney's grandfather set to go to a gambling club. And he gets himself in over his head, and he's out of money for gambling. So he pretends to be a waiter, and he writes to the guy, takes it over to him on a tip. And he takes the tip and he uses it for gambling money. It, oh, it's, just, <laughs> it's just petty nonsense. It's just never going to solve the real problem. You know, it's, it's just throwing pennies. When you maxed out on your credit cards, nickels and dimes aren't going to help you much. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately, like I think some, I think David said it, control. Control through yep. CBDCs, control through digital ID. Uh, they want to assign the, uh, basically a carbon wallet. Yep. See how much you're using. Uh, uh, David Rosengreen, in Australia, that's, that's already somewhat started, right? With certain banks, they, they track your uh, carbon usage in terms of expenses. Uh, yes, yeah. They still have it, 
well, at least the bank I'm with at the moment, it's still an opt-in thing at the moment. The pressure's getting more and more all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, one of the things I kind of lost my peace about a little bit this week that got me angry with basically our government, and that is the way a lot of these things are heading. And basically, we're having less and less choice over the matter. Basically, mm. the, I had the trouble with, I was told I have no choice over the matter. And I wasn't real happy about it. Because <laughs> no. at the moment, it's voluntary. You can opt into some of these things, right? Uh, at the moment, yeah, the, the carbon tracker, all that kind of thing is opt-in at the moment. But you can see, wow. not for much longer, not for much longer. Once they've got people, I, th I think once everybody's kind of like uh, gone cashless, they've got rid of the cash, then it won't be optional anymore. Yeah, when I was, you know, when I was with you uh, last year in November, there was, you know, talking to believers, talking to other believers there, and uh, there was this notion, there was this sense of like, yeah, these banks are getting rid of our cash, and everybody knew it. Everybody knew that there was this 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 agenda that was coming in. They were telling me, well, this bank doesn't take my deposits anymore, and that bank is giving me a hard time taking any deposit. So I said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, it, right now, it's just harder to use cash, so people are opting to use credit card or, or PayPal or, or phone, whatever they got to use. But now if they do bring this carbon wallet and the digital ID, which is probably in Europe first, maybe they'll do it in Australia second, I don't know. Uh, but all the purchases will be gauged in terms of your expenditures toward yes. carbon. You know, if, if you're a good citizen, social credit score, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yeah, we can tell you a few stories about <laughs> that at the moment too, but yeah. <laughs> um, even now, I haven't opted into the carbon tracker, but if I'm to log into my uh, bank app that I don't have on my phone, but I do have it on an iPad, uh, if it'll tell me basically what I've spent the money on. It'll tell me if I've, unless I've actually used cash. Mm. Uh, so if I've purchased airline flights, it will tell me <laughs> uh, what you know what I've spent the money on there: groceries, uh, eating out, dining out, that kind of thing. Incredible. Yeah, that's yeah. coming social and surveillance. Of course, they'll know exactly what you're buying. Jacob, you do travel. Uh, you know, obviously, you travel quite a bit. Have they given you any any hard times or any any issues in terms of mileage and what carbon pollution you're putting into the world? When you I mean, purchase tickets, they always show you how much of a carbon footprint you're leaving. Oh wow! And, and there's donation schemes on credit cards and um, and debit cards, even on the purchase of airline tickets and things like that. Um, it, it's it's incremental, but it's obviously there, and it's it's increasing. Yeah. yeah listen, at what point do you think they'll just charge you more? For I, well, I think they'll just it'll go from a voluntary thing to a mandatory as we get closer to their goals. And yes, they are being much more invasive. Uh, Delta's flight ready, you know, wherever mm -hmm. you go. So they're getting ready for whenever the who says shut everything down they could be they'll be able to shut you down everywhere and it is frightening so but i would ask on this subject jacob and i are going to be doing some traveling and trying to do some new fellowship drives over in new zealand and australia uh we're also going to uh, uh thailand and the philippine scene uh so Please pray for us that we can get through this um, safely, that we make the flights and things like this, and and that we can get back home in case they do decide to shut it down this yeah. year. 
Yeah, I know. And then and you got this worse. Uh, Jacob, let's talk about the Middle East for a moment, uh, because that's another hot spot. We talk about Europe and their problems. Uh, well, the Middle East, it's, it's, it's already there. We've entered from a regional war. Now you got these countries being sucked in, like uh, the Houthis and, and Yemen. Uh, it's not just Israel and Gaza. It's not just Israel and Hamas. It's not just Israel and Hezbollah and the and the attacks on, on, on Israel and the retaliation in Gaza. Uh, but now they're saying they're going into Hezbollah because of, uh, I'm sorry, Lebanon because of Hezbollah. You got U.S. targeting Yemen, U.K. targeting Yemen as well. Iran is targeting Israel, at least the uh, uh, some of these troops. So original war is swinging very, very fast, and the Houthis are not stopping. Jacob Prash. Nope. Okay. Say somebody, say they got poison ivy, right? Their skin itches. Scratching is not going to Scratching can actually make it worse. Calamine lotion might give some symptomatic relief temporarily. Infection, or even a, a serious insect bite. You require antihistamines. Antihistamines is just symptomatic relief or scratching the itch. <laughs> but it's not going to do anything. By bombing, all you're doing is scratching the itch. If you look in Syria and Iraq, more than Iraq, if you look at what is happening with Hezbollah and Lebanon and Galilee, if you look at what's happening with the Houthis in Yemen at the entrance of the Red Sea, what is the common ingredient? We've been saying it's Iran. Hmm. Unless you were going to address the Iranian threat, you're wasting your time. You are I don't think they're the, interested. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're spinning interested. into the wind. The only thing <laughs> Joe Obama or Biden is interested in is placating the Iranians, is placating the sponsors of terror. That's the only thing Joe Obama is interested in, is placating wow. people who are causing this. Wow. And they got the tentacles everywhere. Iran is absolutely... Yeah, and, and Obama and Biden gave them the money. Yeah, oh, I know. And, and they persecute... This, this, betrayal. this is betrayal. Yeah. This is national betrayal. Uh, apparently, uh, they're going to send a very good representative, the head of the CIA, Burns, to try to deal with a peace treaty or some kind of ceasefire in which, you know, I don't know, Jacob Burns broker these ambitious agreement. I don't know if he can broker. Uh, you know, I would rather send Daffy Duck because at least I can at least I know the result I'm going to get. It's going to be a joke. <laughs> So he's going to have to, on the verge of a war with Hezbollah, which Hezbollah is up in arms about this, they send Burns to try to deal a ceasefire and get the hostages back to Israel. Uh, and this is the, the rumor. Please, you know, just a rumor. That doesn't mean it's true. The U.S. Army pulling out of Iraq and Syria, that's, at the, that's on the table. What kind of vacuum is that going to create, Jacob? What, what kind of a vacuum when the Petraeus surge worked? Well, the Petraeus surge worked in Iraq, okay? Obama yanked all the American troops out. We didn't need a lot there. We just needed a residual amount. He yanked them out. ISIS took over immediately. Yes, the big Barack winner. Barack Obama yeah. then said, Barack Obama then said, oh, they're just a JV team. 
Two weeks later, that JV team was putting bombs on subways in Europe. Wasn't long afterwards, they were responsible for a bombing 30 minutes drive from where you are seated. This was Obama. What did the Taliban do when Biden used Obama's strategy in Afghanistan? What happened? Well, we know what's going to happen. There's only there's only two possibilities. These people are really that stupid, which I admit is a possibility. Or if they're not that stupid, they're traitors. In effect. Yeah, no, it, it, it's uh, I would opt for the first uh, for the second one, although I don't leave the first one completely out of the, out yeah. of the picture yet. But I just think they're absolutely evil. I think they're evil. as evil as the Hague. I think they're as evil as, uh, you know, the ruling came down today, Jacob. Now they want to put the U.S. and the U.K. on trial because of uh, of genocide. South the, Africa is. The U.N. The UN ruling, the, the, the court in the Hague, the ICJ, which is another joke, said, because of the evidence presented, that the IDF needs to prevent the genocide of the quote-unquote Palestinian people. But they didn't say Israel has to get out of there. That was interesting. Mm. Why? Because it's politically stacked. The countries in Europe couldn't go that far. Because it's an election year in the USA. They couldn't go that far. Okay? They couldn't go that far. They didn't tell Israel you had to get out. South Africa, of course, is a country that is imploding economically, politically, and socially. What's happening in South Africa is that it's, it's gone into a death spiral. It's the ANC has finally put it in a death spiral. Um, and Malima and Raposa have to divert attention away from their domestic decline by refocusing on things external. So that's what they're doing. Uh, I was not a particularly big fan of either uh, Desmond Tutu, theologically. He wanted to ordain lesbian priestesses. Nor was I a big fan of Nelson Mandela. But I did agree with them on one thing. Apartheid was wrong. I agreed mm. with them. I was against apartheid. And on that point, I agreed with them. The ANC, unleashed by Mandela and Tutu, have brought that country to ruination. Right from the beginning, when he got out of Robbins Island, out of jail, Mandela said, the war against apartheid cannot end unless we deal with the issue of Israel and the Palestinians. He, he <laughs> united the two things. Mm. Um, but Tutu, before he died, as I've said before, admitted the ANC simply replaced one evil with another. South Africa is artificial support. If it didn't have gold bullion, the RAND would collapse. Forget mm. about bricks. And now, um, that's the reality of South Africa. From their own failures to deliver South Africa, the new South Africa economically is worse than the old one, mm. especially for blacks. It's worse for everybody, but it's especially worse for blacks economically. And, yeah. and Tutu admitted it. Yeah, now, now they're involved, in, of course, in trying to uh, mitigate between the Palestinian and Israel issue. If they uh, couldn't beat Israel in the ICJ, they think they're going to beat America and, and Britain? Who's going to no. care? 
Yeah, it is. It's it's it's, it's for the best political consumption by the AMC. That's all it is. They all need money, Jacob, and the love of money is the, the root of all kinds of this evil in the world. Yeah, like uh, final Andrew thing. Jackson yeah, go ahead. Said, go ahead, Jake. Uh, he ha you have his verdict now. Try to make him enforce it. Same yeah. thing with, you know, uh, a court in the Hague trying to make Great Britain or the United States, for that matter, come to justice. Yeah. when their justice is secured by those two very states militarily yeah no you're right uh just before we finish up because we've got to deal with the uh, a church issue that we want to bring up jacob in terms of the, the church the body of christ uh what do you think of jake sullivan going to thailand to try to talk to the chinese uh, uh foreign minister Wang yi about uh china inter intervening regarding the houthis so they could stop attacking uh ships heading into israel is that interesting, Jake Sullivan? Of all people, going to Ch China, uh, going to speak has offices. China. Jake Sullivan's a joke, but here's what it comes down to: China has offices with Iran, with oil trade, with arms trade. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. China and Iran are working together. I believe China, Iran, and Putin were complicit in this October seventh attacks. It was there, deliberate. They, they were doing it because of the Ukraine, because of Taiwan. They wanted something else to get the world's attention. I believe that both Putin and Jinping were complicit with Iran and what happened on October 7th attacks by, in Gaza. I'm, I'm quite sure that's true. They knew about it ahead of time. Because China and Iran are in cahoots to a considerable degree, and because China is also being hurt by what is happening in the Red Sea, Chinese shipping, Chinese goods, they are at the pressure Iran to stop the Houthis. That's the card they're playing. Yeah. But it's a fool's game. It is a fool's game. <laughs> Level Karg Island, wipe out the Iranian economy. All you got to do is wipe out Cog Island and their GDP goes That's only the beginning. You stop supporting Hezbollah, Hamas, and the Houthis, or there's going to be more. That's all you got to do. You've only got to take out certain targets in Iran. I would go for their nuclear development capacity with, with, with um, Hezbollah. All you've got to do is hit several main targets in Iran before it's too late. Instead, Joe Obama is supporting them. This is what you're saying. It's unbelievable. Iran knows the weakness of Biden. And especially with the divided country, this is this is a time to strike. This is a time to strike with the you know what's going on in the US, what's going on in Europe. And they uh, don't want Trump. And they don't want Trump. David Lister. The weakness of the American presidency, it's quite clear here. I mean, it, it's its its evident by how these other countries are, uh, are acting, but also how we're dealing with them. When you have a weak president, you have a world that will try to get away with everything. You know, mm -hmm. Teddy Roosevelt said, speak softly and carry a big stick. And he sent American battleships around the world to say, look, America is strong and it it has worked to keep peace around the world but now we're we're seen as impotent because of our president he's a joke 
to most of the world and to even to the news media. Yeah. And even his people are calling him out. His own Democrats are saying he needs to get out of the race. So they're seeing him as weak and his policies are weakening America. They're weakening the whole world because we're on the verge of where it may be already in a third world war, a controlled yeah. third yeah. world war. No, I believe it. No, as, Based as on his policies. I mean, you know, for the first time in my life that I can remember, America wasn't at war under Trump. We finished with all the wars, but it didn't take him but just a couple of months to get us back into a war. Yeah, they love the war. Yeah, they absolutely. love the wars. David, as a Christian, how we're to look at this, you know, you see the, the impotence of America, you see the problems in the world, you see war, you see food wars, you see... It's it's about to make any Christian worried and fearful about what's coming. Any words of encouragement to believers who are seeing this, and obviously from the standard of praying, seeking the Lord, and things like that, uh, any practical things we can tell, tell them? Absolutely. I would tell people, look, Jesus said these things would happen. He said, I tell you these things in advance that you might know I am he. I just saw a Newsweek uh, or a Time magazine. It says, why do you say I, why do you call me I am? You know, yeah. almost like a question. Why do you think who I, who I am? You know, so they were questioning, is Jesus God? Well, he is, and he's told us things in advance. But he also, so we should have a faith that's solid because he's placed in the right person that is capable of doing what he says and the world is in his control and these things may seem out of control for us but we don't live by what we see we live by faith and god says he's given us a spirit of boldness so no matter what happens in this world we're safe you know even if we should die we will be with him. Even if we're in the midst of turmoil, uh, David prayed and said, even if I go to CO, you'll still be with me. And so we have to remember that. And then also these hard times that Christians are facing, we have to remember that those, Jesus said, uh, Romans says on uh, 828, that God is working out all things for good that love those that love him and called according to his purpose. So if you love Jesus and he's allowing these trials to come into your life, they're for our own good. They're going to benefit us somewhere down the line. And so we have to remember that, that the hard things can become good things when you belong to the king of the universe. And so we can be, we can stand steadfast on the rock, being encouraged to, to every day to pray, to be ready for what comes next and have your, you know, repent of your sins, keep a short list and, and love him and look for his coming. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, let's deal with the last issue before we get into the questions on backstage. Uh, it's homosexual marriages. And the, the question has come up, should Christians attend homosexual weddings and things like that? Now, uh, we have seen the church compromise in a big way the last few years, especially with Andy Stanley, Southern Baptist Convention. We have seen Marxist Christianity taking a, a big rise and even the movie God and Country, which is coming out, which basically uh, blames 
blames Christians who don't support LGBTQ or abortion or, or don't support uh, 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 some of the leftist ideologies like climate change. They see them as the enemy. And these left-wing Christians are coming out. And there's some interesting guys like Russell Moore from the Southern Baptist uh, uh, denomination who are participating in that movie, blaming Christians that, you know, we don't love enough, we don't do this enough, and Christians have to be better than this because they have to love everybody. And you, so you've seen the decline that way from the times of Jim Wallace, from the uh, sojourners and all these left-wing ideas coming in. But now, Jacob and, and David and, and, and Jay and Davey, we have some, we will see the Orthodox guys seemingly compromising on this. And uh, it's caused a lot of trouble. We've see, we received questions and emails about it. So I decided to just tackle the issue, bring it here, and uh, I'm going to share my screen. And um, let's just hear what uh, a prominent member, I think he was part of the, uh, or he still is, the Gospel Coalition. This is Alistair Begg. Um, he talks about homosexual marriages and just wanted to hear what he had to say and then we'll comment on it. It's in another direction and learning to say, but I have no basis upon which I could argue that I would myself would not be where they are, were it not for the amazing grace of God, were it not for his compassion towards me. And in very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we feel questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person and I don't know what to do about this and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I asked the, I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to... Your, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and and don't understand that he is a king. All right, so let, let me preface this before I turn it over to you guys. He, he's been a pastor for a long time. He teaches in Ohio, I think it's Cleveland Parkside Church. He's been there since 1983. He's taught the Bible for a long time, uh, pretty orthodox in terms of his faith, quite a long time as a preacher, very well known in the Reformed community and outside of Reformed community. He is respected. A lot of people look to him and he gives such an answer as this, that yes, you should go buy him a gift. This is to a grandmother who grandson is going to marry a transgender person because he says your love will catch you off guard rather than your absence. Your absence will just reinforce the idea that you that you're hateful and critical. It's a fine line, he says, but he says we have to show love. So attending a homosexual wedding it's affirming love. If you don't attend, it's not loving. So we'll start there. This is where this is where we're headed. A lot of people were shocked. A lot of people were giving him the benefit of the doubt. 
we'll talk about here uh, about it here. So, uh, Jacob Prash, we'll start with you, and then we'll take it from there. We got another clip that we'll show in a minute, but I wanted to get it in front of everybody before we uh, uh, before we address this. So, uh, Jacob, we'll go to you first, and we'll, we'll switch to everybody else. I'm sorry to say, and in fact, I'm ashamed to say, that Alistair Begg was theologically educated in the same seminary, London Bible College, as I was, now London School of Theology. We're alumnus. I didn't know him. He was before my time, but we went to the same school. Okay. My grandmother was from Scotland. Moriel's UK branch. We have a conference every year in Scotland, and we have a rep in Scotland, a wonderful lady, Sister Marg. And in addition to our conference, we are partner ministry in RTN, which is based in Scotland. We have a lot going in Scotland. My grandmother was from there. We love Scotland. This guy came from Scotland to America like my grandmother did. Only she was a Catholic. He's a Christian and should know better. I've never liked him theologically. I've never spoken against him, but I just never liked him. He had too much of a Calvinistic leaning. There are moderate Calvinists I can cooperate with on things like evangelism and missions and things of that nature, and, and even certain other moral issues, but not with him. He's compromised on, on a moral issue. We've heard the religious drivel of Alistair Begg. Now let's listen to the Holy Spirit-inspired words of Paul the Apostle. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burden their desire towards one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the dual penalty of their error. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, he goes on there, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious against their parents, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, are worthy of death. And it's speaking of the second death, not capital punishment, second death. Although the medical ramifications of that lifestyle kill many of them before their time, reduces their longevity. Now, that's what God says. Now, I have brothers and sisters in Christ who were saved from homosexual and lesbian backgrounds, the that's same right. as I and David Lister were saved from drug abusive backgrounds, from drug addicted backgrounds. The same God who set me, myself, and David free from what we were into, there's a God who sets them free from what they were into. We do not hate them. We love them, therefore we do not desire their death. To condone their death, to go to the wedding and you give them a present, and you, this is a disgusting, reprehensible excuse for a preacher. He is not a man of God. I've never liked him anyway, but I never spoke against him because he never said anything heretical or apostate before, but now he has. Alistair Begg is a disgusting, not just a disgusting pre preacher, he's a disgusting human being because he knows better. He knows what the Word of God says. These things will result in death. God gives them over to something depraved, 
Yep. I don't desire their death. I desire their repentance. I'm not going to give them a present and smile at their wedding. This man is a disgrace to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not just no good as a preacher. He's no good as a Christian. He's no good as a human being. Alistair Begg, you are no good. And I will debate you in front of a camera. One LBC graduate to another. I'll debate you in front of a camera anywhere, anytime. Because you are a disgrace and a failure. Yep. to the ministry and calling of Jesus Christ. David Lister, he says it's a fine line, he says. We're walking a fine line between love and acceptance and affirmation and not attending. Uh, his eyesight may be becoming old, uh, bad since he's gotten old. But anyway, look, I don't see that this, it's, it's pretty easy. This love that he is talking about yokes itself with sin and with error. That is not the love of Christ. The love of Christ is a purifying love, a love that keeps you from sin. And so the thing is that I, I lay this question at the feet of the church because it has not created disciples. And because of that, people don't know what to do. Look, it's pretty simple. I, I'm going to use my mother as an example of what to do, and me. My mother knew I was a junkie. She loved me unconditionally, but she made it clear that my sin was wrong. She could always deal with me, and she loved me, and she wanted me to know it, but she also made sure she knew that this was wrong and that I had to return to Christ. Now, I witness to people, as Jacob says, we witness to people who are caught up in this. For me, another story is that I had my sister married an unbeliever, and I told, I, I didn't go to my sister's wedding. Okay, because she was marrying an unbeliever. Now, I called the unbeliever up and I told him, I said, look, I can't come to your wedding because you're an unbeliever and my sister's not being wise by doing this. I think you'll probably screw around on her. The marriage will end the divorce. I'm very concerned about it and everything. And he, he got it and I said, but after my sister finishes sticking her head in the noose, I will become a friend to you. As Leviticus 18 says, the that you have to deal with the dead to the to the in-laws. If you want to know about that, Jacob's teaching the living, the dead, and the priests of the Lord. So, um, so I dealt with him, and I talked with him, and I kept telling him about Jesus. And he always knew where I stand, and he respected me for my stand. But later on, after he messed around on my sister, after he... Uh, um, did everything wrong. He came near Christmas and he had a gun in his head and he called me. And I talked him down and I reminded him of everything about the Bible and that this would just be the problems. But later, so he said he was good then. And later on, he got cancer. And on, uh, we talked again and he said he's made his peace with the Lord and everything and he remembers what i taught him and remembers what his grandfather taught him so that by telling him the truth he is in heaven waiting for us by telling people and not telling people the truth 
you're sentencing them to what Jacob said, an eternal hell. And so we as Christians have to know how to deal with people in their sin. Look, I was a junkie, as Jacob said. Look, I've done other things wrong. I would not excuse anybody's sin. We should, you know, go right down the line. This is what the Bible says. This is what you should do. Look, you don't have to go to the, you just have to love the person and let them know that you see a difference between their immorality and this, but that it's not, you can't condone the sin. You know, in our culture, in our culture, uh, true love is affirmation, they said. True love is affirmation. No matter how sinful it is, you have to affirm them and you have to love them, it says. And and now you see churches doing this, and if you don't affirm, you're attacking their personal truth. So we moved away from ultimate truth that Jacob quoted from Romans 1, to everyone's personal truth. Well, this is how I see, it. and this is how, and it's it's affirming. It's equated with love now, and it's 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 almost like theological, philosophical stuff because yes. it's like they go through this whole process of trying to explain it and and move away from scripture. Jacob, go ahead. on this, um, where love and truth kissed each other. Oh yeah, um, and 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 we talk um, is doctrinal. It is not relational, contrary to the first evangelist who began to propagate this lie was Tony who did it. Last month, we had the Pope, uh, the Pope basically saying, bless same-sex marriages. Yeah. He didn't say it that way, but homosexual couples. Now you've got Alistair Begg saying the same thing in other words, among evangelicals. Again, one LBC graduate to another from the Greek text. I will debate you from Romans chapter one, Mr. Begg, because I think you are unfit to be a minister of the gospel. He knows better, Jacob, and he's compromised the truth. Of course he has. I would just like to mention that one of the things that I think Alistair and other Christians that are missing from this whole formula is you have to prioritize your love of Christ above everything else. In fact, it's, Jesus right. plainly says this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If your son or daughter is gay, you must love Jesus more than you love them. It says in the Bible. you won't condone their sin. If you love them, you won't condone their healthy sin. Correct. You don't love him. You don't love your son. And further to the point. That's right. You're sending them to an eternal hell. Yeah. The the world says you have to affirm it, as as Marco said. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So stand on what the word says rather than the popular opinion of your culture says. Amen, Jay. Well, we believe disgraceful, of course, is what's his name? Lecrae, the the, the rapper. The, the yeah, we're gonna play that. Yeah, we're gonna play that video in a minute. I, I just wanted to make sure we address this issue with, uh, oh. uh, you know, the the, yeah. the with Alistair. Go ahead, Davy. Yeah, we've uh, look. Alistair Begg has got a big following here too, and look the the whole gay marriage thing. I see that as um, it's a what do you call it? It's a symptom of a deeper problem with Alistair Begg. If you listen to that clip of him talking, um, 
if, yeah, if you listen to that clip and listen to his words carefully, he's redefining terms all the way along. He, he's yep. basically, he's got to redefine love, not the biblical term of love. He's using the world's term of love. Uh, love. He's talking about building bridges, but building bridges with what? With the harlot church, with Babylon? Also judgment. You know, he was he's more concerned about how Christians appear to the world. We're not to we're not to worry about what the world thinks of us. If the world speaks good of us, we got to. That's when we should really worry. You know, what did Jesus say? If the world if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Yes. Uh, he's trying to do a placating message, but he's redefining redefining terms all the way along. And basically, what he's doing, he's making god in his own image he's fashioning god in his own Im image making it according to his liking to his sensibilities in trying to make god palatable we don't get to define who god is yeah we have his word you know i was reading before in first john 2 5 but whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. We don't get to decide what God's word says or not. And and with judgment, it's not our judgment. We just take God's word and we apply it to the situation. So for me, his handling of the word of God or his disrespect for the word of God is the more concerning thing. So um, uh, what, what does it say in Second Thessalonians? Uh, they're given given over to believe the lie because they don't have a love for the truth. Yeah, that's right. You know, I asked this question to uh, believers throughout the week, you know, believers that have been safe for five years, 10 years, you know, a couple of years. And I asked them the same question, would you go? And, you know, for the most part, almost 100% say, no, I can't affirm their sin. I can't go. I can't go. Right. And and, I, and I, I stand here and wonder, this man has taught the Bible for more than 50 years. He studies the Bible. And, and he comes down on this issue falsely applying God's word. And, and in a real-life situation, he doesn't apply it. And, no. I, and I kept wondering, are, are churches and pews and pulpits filled with people that study the Bible but don't even know how to apply it in real-life situations? And, and it reminded yes. me of a book by Tozer, uh, in which Tozer says in his own days there were pews, or sorry, pulpits filled with weak men, he says. And in my fear, he says, is that weak pulpits are going to breed weak Christians and weak men are going to take over pulpits and give more room for weak Christianity to come along. And he said that quite a long time ago. Yes. And boy, man, it was he right about this because you got guys like Andy Stanley who can't take a nation, you know, Joel Osteen, they don't take any, any strong stance on anything anymore. And, and, and lo and behold, but David, you told me too that, uh, David Rosengreen, you told me that the, that Christian family, Christian radio, uh, took him off the radio because he he didn't recant it. Uh, Alistair Begg didn't yeah. recant. Good yeah, for they them. approached him and and they wanted him to clarify his position and that kind of thing. And he doubled down. He didn't repent of it. He doubled down on it. So uh, yeah, American Family Radio have uh, taken off his uh, radio show. On the heels of the Pope yeah. defending blessing same sex couples, you got this. Uh, but uh, to to Jacob's uh, point about uh, the other video that we wanted to show, this is Lecrae on a recent interview. Uh, regard it, it was supposed to be about Little Nas X, which is you know the whole thing about the video. Jay, uh, what, what's it called? Jay Jesus, 
uh, Jay Christ, I think it's a video it's called Jay Christ, which he completely makes a mockery of Christ and and Lil Nas X is a homosexual and he practices. Well, they asked Lecrae, which is a famous Christian rapper, if you guys don't know, and uh, very well known in the reform circles, very well known outside of reform circles, just like Alistair Begg. And listen to what he had to say about this issue of same-sex attraction. The Christian community does not treat the gay community well, has not historically, right? That's just not, you know, anything to hide. Um, and that's because there are varying degrees of perspectives and objectives as it pertains to Christians engaging culture um, because here's and here's a caveat I, I didn't even know I was going to go here but here's a caveat before we get into Little Nas X specifically I'm a firm believer that you know same sex attraction is not a choice for everybody um, and if you are born with a propensity or an attraction toward a, the same sex that in and of itself is not condemnable. Like that's not something you condemn someone for. And I think that's what's consistently happened in the churches. People have said, hey, I'm attracted to the same sex. Oh, you're going to hell. That's not okay. Um, on top of that, people outside the church have said, hey, not only am I same sex attracted, I'm acting on it. And the Christian community is pointing fingers again. But but what about all the people outside the church who do all kinds of things that we would consider sin? Like, where's the uproar for, I don't know, gluttony? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and here's my, my biggest issue when we come back to Lil Nas X. It's not even about his, his sexuality. It's about his lifestyle choices in general, right? Like people are upset about his lifestyle choices. People are upset about rappers' lifestyle choices in general. People are upset about non-Christian lifestyle choices in general. What are we expecting? Says the man with Tupac Shakur behind him. <laughs> I was going to tell you that, Jay. Look like in the back. He's got Tupac in his and. He's supposed to be a Christian artist. Uh, I'll turn it over to you guys. Yeah. Uh, what do we do make of this? Uh, considering a gluttony, uh, supporting in some yeah. way, endorsing in some level, uh, uh, same-sex attraction, that's not a sin, compare it to gluttony. Well, we ignore gluttony, we come down on gays. He's falling further and further away from, he's already compromising other, in other issues, but uh, it's because of the social justice. He's involved sure. in social justice, and it's not a big surprise, but... Uh, Jacob, go ahead and start with you. My first question would be, where does he think Bigsy Smalls and Tupac are now? <laughs> um, he's got a shirt that says Holy Spirit. No, he has the spirit of error. There's absolutely no biogenetic support whatsoever for people being born homosexually. There's no homosexual or lesbian gene. It's not there. When you look at the, listen to the testimonies of people who Jesus has saved and delivered from a homosexual it is inevitable that there is an absence of a father figure or it's a weak father figure or an absence of a mother figure was the figure come into a gender identity crisis in early adolescence because of childhood trauma emotionally 
do with some kind of a dysfunctional family where you had a dominant mother and a weak father or an absent father or something is one of the things that is causing the increase in the numbers of homosexuals, the breakdown of the nuclear family and marriage, etc. So typically whatsoever. He's not telling the truth. Now, he may be saying that in ignorance, but it's not true, no matter what his motives are for saying it. Uh, gluttony. Um, what a false comparison. The sin of gluttony. And I'll, Okay, it's a sin. Gluttony is the abuse of a natural appetite that God created. Natural appetite that God forbids. How dare he make that comparison? This guy is a deceiver. He's one of the and being deceived. Now notice that he, like Mr. Philosophically, not exegetically, they argue according to human reason, right. not according to a godly wisdom of God. Both of them have to do that. Tony Capola does that. J.D. Greer did that. Andy Stanley does that. They all do that because they have to. Mm. Because they cannot argue with humanism, humanist philosophy. And and that's where Calvinism comes from. There's a reason that, that Tim Keller and these other people come from Calvinistic backgrounds. Because Calvinism is not based, is, is, as I've said often, it is a 16th century masquerading as first century Judeo-Christian theology. It's based on humanist philosophy. They have to argue that way. They cannot argue exegetically. And if, if, if Mr. Begg takes up my offer to debate him, I'll prove it. Yeah, okay. David, we're going to do Well, for me, this guy's just uh, he's he's a mixture. You know, he's he's got one foot in the world, one foot in the uh, in the church. So that makes him a compromiser, like Jacob said. You know, it's interesting. Eminem in his movie Eight Mile, uh, he had a, a he had a rap battle. And he exposed all of his own sins and all of his own thing for being a rapper. Uh, how he's born in a lives in a trailer. He's white, et cetera, everything. And so the guy couldn't come out, and he exposed the the one rapper as having his parents have a good marriage. He's you know his name's Francis. He had a good education. And then what he said was this: Everybody we know that there's no such thing as a halfway crook well there's no such thing as a halfway christian and that's what this guy is he's got one foot in the rapper world with two pack behind him and he's got a foot in the church and he's found and he's found a uh a niche to deceive people and he's got a big voice and everything but he's not He's not teaching the truth here. He's teaching something of a uh, carnal Christianity. You know, he, you know, look, eating is wrong, but uh, 
the Bible doesn't say that this sin will um, uh, take others with you to hell when you agree with it. You know, so it has a special homosexuality has a special place in Romans one, where the people that agree to promote it and allow it go to hell too. Look, you you may not agree with uh, uh, gluttony, but it doesn't say that if you don't say anything, you'll go to hell. Or if you agree, you know, you know. his other lie is to make it a issue. How do you approach people of different cultures and different lifestyle? Yeah. Natural reason tells you. Why is it in tribal Africa that you don't find very little homosexuality? Yeah. in Asia? Homosexuality. The only exception I really know of is Thailand, and that is basically among urban ties, not among cultures. Do you not find homosexuality? They look upon it as something crazy, as, as unnatural. Um, it, would, it would be uniform. It would be found in all cultures. It's yeah. not. It's it found is. only in decadent cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Educated, too. Morally, yeah. highly educated, you're more apt to be uh, homosexuals. Yeah. Jay, I'll go to you. I have three points. My first point is goes back to what uh, you had a quote from Tozer. Uh, about weak people in the in the uh, church, I would yeah. tell you that it is not uniquely in the time of Tozer. Think about the Pharisees; they know and have studied the law of Moses for their entire life. Yet, when the law uh, preached about the coming Messiah, they could not see the Messiah before them. And why That's is right. that? Because the law of Moses didn't invade their hearts to where it was truly present to have yes. faith it was an intellectual choice yeah the second thing Lecrae said um he compared that homosexuals do not have a choice and then use gluttony as the counterpoint as a person <laughs> who is very uh aware that uh, i could be accused and am a glutton i would tell him it is a choice third Every gay person wants affirmation that their lifestyle is good, it's it's pure, it's wholesome. I can will tell you that most rational people who have a struggle with the sin of gluttony will not say that. Mm. Now, there there is a movement that's pushing to that that has now started because of some of the uh, the currents of our society where it's you know they're against fat shaming. I Right. You know, again, that goes back to what's, what's happening to our society. It's a complete breakdown. Yeah. But those are my three points. I mean, it makes no sense that these Christians who read the word daily, I assume they pray daily, are, are being pushed in this direction. They're not being pushed by the real Holy Spirit, as Jacob said. Yeah. I want to bring this article up real quick because uh, as we finish, we're winding down. Uh, this was an article in 2015, uh, which this conversation about whether should you attend a gay wedding, it's not new. Uh, it's been going on for some time. It's nearly like 10, 15 years old now since the uh, uh, LGBT community and marriage was allowed uh, constitutionally and all that stuff. Uh, not constitutionally, uh, um, added to our government and Obama and, and, and the Supreme Court. Uh, 
Can I attend an LGBT friend's wedding? This was uh, by Pastor Brian Burdison from Calvary Chapel. So about 10 years ago, he began to sort of ask these questions, although these questions existed before. And um, if if you read his blog, he gives an answer basically saying, well, you have to pray and have the Lord lead you, but I don't see anything wrong with it because Jesus hung around with sinners. And uh, but you have to pray and you have to kind of be led of your own because it's there's really not a stock answer, he says. You know, uh, you should pray about it because you have to see the bigger picture. First Corinthians five, you know, Paul was addressing the sin in the church. He wasn't going to judge the sin in the world in which he says, if a non-believer invites you to go, hey, it's not an issue. You should go. Jesus ate with sinners, prostitutes and all that. You know, the basic answer uh, to people that want to justify certain things, in my opinion. So at the end, he basically says there's no clear answer. So just imitate Jesus and uh you know, if you need to attend a gay wedding, go ahead. Uh, but you need to seek Jesus wherever you go. Uh, it, it sounded more like a politician trying to get around uh, a, a question rather than here's the scriptures. Never quoted Romans 1, never quoted 1 Corinthians 6, never quoted any of those sorts. So, uh, Jacob, this has been going on for some time. And now it's evolved and devolved into Alistair Begg now and Andy Stanley and Lecrae. But it's been going on for some time, but here is uh, somebody that you know, Brian Burdison, uh, not dealing with the issue, just simply uh, diverting it. Uh, it's almost like cowardice. It's almost compromising in and of itself. As many, probably most, Calvary Chapel pastors know, there are and have always been serious problems spiritually and doctrinally with Brian Burdison. This is not new. The whole legal mess and the rest of it has been terrible. Um, yes, he, he was flimsy on a number of issues, including that one. Um, but he was not the only one. And he, although he was among the first to, to remove a staunch opposition to it, to, to, to not confront it on the basis of Scripture, he was, he was indeed the first. Once the devil gets a toe in the door, he's going to get a foot in. Once he gets a foot in, he's going to get a leg in. Once he gets a leg in, he's going to get in. It begins slowly and incrementally. And I grant you that this display of compromise in an incipient form by Brian Broderson was one of the first hints of what was to come. But it was nothing like what would come with J.D. Greer Andy Stanley, Rick Warren, and uh, perhaps most of all, Tony Campola. Now, of course, it's gone beyond that. And even people like Alistair Begg are compromising with him. Yeah, I remember when the Southern Baptist Convention started messing around with the Russell Moore and Al Mohler, and, and they could never define it. They, they, they always toyed with it. They were so afraid. Jay, isn't it embarrassing that you have pastors people that know the scriptures they study it they can't apply it it seems like but you have like mma fighters hockey players baseball players football players some of them christians some of them not saying don't harm little kids this is going to get so bad against kids that you know trans trans agenda is going to harm kids and they stand up against it and they, they make no qualms about it but us in the church i'm talking about the whole body of christ you people in the body of christ we can't do that anymore like, like we've lost every source of strength, which is the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit. I mean, how does this happen? Like I mentioned before, it's a, it's a title. Christian is a title. 
with yes. with most people. It's it's not a faith. It's not something that's truly in them. It's something that they use to to whitewash their life. Yeah. And I think of John's words where he tells people, tells us not to love the world, you know, love not the world. And that, and this is the thing. A lot of people don't want to let go of the world. They want to be friends of, friends of the world too. Yeah. And yeah. Um, also the one saved, always saved thing too, I think is a very big thing. It's kind of like, okay, if I'm saved, well, I, you know, I'll do whatever I, I want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that, that should never exactly. enter into the, the mouth of a Christian. I yeah jacob you mentioned pulpit. yeah jacob you mentioned pulpit politicians before boy there's there's plenty of them now and this is this is the result yeah. of it but what was just stated about wanting to be friends with the world which is enmity towards god yeah we you understand uh, lot's wife and 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 lots of sons-in-laws they wanted to have a foot in each wanted to yep to perish yep and that's what they did. And many Christians are going that direction. Yeah. Many. Jacob, you mentioned that, that this was going to be one of the... Oh, go yeah, ahead. You have yeah. people with a profile like Alistair Begg saying that stuff. Let few of you be teachers. Teachers will be judged more strictly than the rest. He is being used by Satan to affect the thinking of Christians about this subject, about this issue, about the sins of Sodom. He is being manipulated by the devil to manipulate the thinking of Christians about the subject in a direction that's contrary to Scripture. He's a dangerous man. He's a I regard him as a deceiver. I regard J.D. Greer as a deceiver. I regard Campola as a deceiver. I regard Rick Warren as a deceiver. Homosexuals are people who need to get saved. That's all. That's all they are to me is people who need Christ. But preachers who compromise with things that the Word of God says will result in death, a depravity that God will give people over to, to their destruction, this man, if, if he had any integrity, but he doesn't, he obviously doesn't, so I shouldn't say anything. Yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah, you know, the when you hear this, this problem being addressed by so many pastors and preachers, etc. You understand that we have all these parents, all these grandparents are coming to these pastors. So the rise of homosexuality is is growing incredibly. Yeah. And yeah. so there's this sense that there's these other churches over there where these the homosexuals will go because they're accepted. But and what happens is they come and says, Oh, they, they go to church over here. Why can't we have church here? The loss of people coming to your church may well factor in these pastors' decisions. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I remember Jacob talking about, I think it was 20 years ago, Jacob, you were talking about the fact that there's going to be certain issues that are going to divide the body of Christ. This was going to be one of them. Uh, Israel was going to be the other one. Sure. And uh, we're, we're seeing it right now because it, it is Israel, not... Israel, homosexuality. Say it again. Israel, ecumenism, homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, messing with the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you're seeing it now. And you mentioned that it wasn't going to come from the world or the governments or 
you know, the mafia outside, you know, it was going to come from within. Brothers betraying brother. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely incredible. We're, we're living in interesting times and dangerous times. If you're not really careful and really seated in God's word and really taking it, take well, a root and apply it. If James 3.1 doesn't scare a Bible teacher or a theologian or a Bible expositor, if James 3.1 does not put a holy fear into somebody who preaches the word of God, who expounds no. it, they shouldn't be a preacher. They shouldn't yeah. be a theologian. They shouldn't be an expositor. No, I understand that, Jake. It keeps me up at night because I'm one day I'm going to stand before the one whose eyes burn like fire and I'm going to give yep. an account to what I said and the souls that I taught and the souls that I reached or not reached. And uh, that is an incredible, incredible, heavy responsibility that I, I honestly tell you, I don't take lightly ever. I'd rather not do it. I'd rather not do right. it. I'd rather, but that's what God called me to do. So uh, yeah. incredible stuff. Good stuff, guys. Us, absolutely awesome. We got some great questions coming up on backstage. I am going to, uh, the, the, the episode is going to come to an end. And I'm going to turn it over to James and turn it over to you guys and uh, on backstage. So make sure you guys jump from Facebook and YouTube over to Rumble, MorialTV.org, Morial.tv, and the other ones. And we're going to have an awesome, awesome question. And uh, I see the questions here. They're going to be fantastic. So uh, I'll see you guys in a couple of minutes. Okay. Welcome back. Welcome to backstage. Uh, we're here with Jacob and Jay at the moment. David and Marco have had to leave. Um but um, yeah, Jacob, you had something you wanted to talk to us about. Yes, very briefly. I read a very interesting article yesterday on my way uh, over from the States or when I got to the States last night from, from Britain. Um, I read Melanie Phillips regularly. Please pray for her. She's a conservative editorialist. She's Jewish. She's unsaved. But she knows about the love and support for Israel and the Jews held by Philo-Semitic evangelicals, premillennial Christians, and things like this. And uh, I hope she gets saved. I really do. But she's an intelligent lady, and she's a very fair journalist. I suppose I would say she's the British equivalent, something like the British equivalent of Andrew Bolton, Australia. She's just a fair editorialist. Um, as editorialists go, I mean, I'd read her before. We didn't need others of Britain, for sure. There's one or two others that aren't bad, but she's about the best. And uh, she wrote an article on the United Nations um, Relief and Works Agency. The so-called Palestinian Authority, or the Palestinian Arabs, the Gazans, call them what you will, are the only people group in the world, small as they are, that have a United Nations agency dedicated to them. Now, why UNICEF and the United Nations High Commission on Refugees and so forth, why does the normal UN apparatus not deal with issues related to the conflict in the Middle East concerning West Bank Arabs and Gaza Arabs and so forth, I don't know. It's obviously political. However, they have found 3,000, 3,000 employees of this organization that have made not only anti-Israel but anti-Semitic statements on social media all documented, 3,000 of their employees. There have been countless, countless entrances into the subterranean tunnel network of Hamas where weapons are stored and armaments are stored, armaments and munitions are stored. 
that are under schools operated and funded by the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. Look at this picture, please. What's taught in their schools. Just look at this picture. There you've got someone who's supposed to be a Jewish child with the Star of David, the Magen David of Dam on his head, and two little Arab children being indoctrinated to shoot him dead with rifles in the head as he's kneeling down. This is what is taught in their schools. This is what the United Nations is teaching and doing. And this is what the Joe Obama administration is funding. Donald Trump stopped funding this hatred. Donald Trump ceased American funding of this. Why should the American taxpayers pay for something that's not only anti-Israel and anti-Semitic, but anti-American? Radical Islam. After September 11th, why are we funding that? Why should the American taxpayers pay for this? Well, ask Barack Obama, ask Joe Biden, ask Jake Sullivan, ask Anthony Blinken. They re-established funding for this. It was the same as when the Trump administration, and I'm not campaigning for Donald Trump, I'm simply making a statement. He had the Houthis on the terrorist watch list. Joe Obama took them off it. Joe Obama took the Houthis off the terrorist list of the State Department. They're taking your money and my money to fund hatred, to fund support for terror, to fund the indoctrination of children to be terrorists. They're raising children to be terrorists at the expense of the UN with the bill being footed by American taxpayers primarily. The United States gives more to the UN than anyone else. Budgets. That's what we're paying for. I point again to the shame and vote for the Democratic Party, and believe me, I'm no Republican. The shame and disgrace of Debbie Washerman and Jerry Nadler, and Adam Schiff, and Blumenthal. How can you be in a party with the squad, with the ab, fastest before, with an administration that's funding this? Look at that little Jewish kid, supposed to be a Jewish kid kneeling down there. Muslim kids are shooting them in the head. That's what they're teaching them, and you're paying for it. If you're a Jew who votes Democrat, why don't you just sew a gold star onto your Auschwitz? Because that's what you're doing. Jewish self-hatred. You want to be But don't hate your children. Do you really hate Israel that much? Do you really hate Israelis Zionism that much? Do you really hate yourself that much? Do you really hate the divine promise to your fathers that much? You even hate your children that much. You're paying for 
who are taking your money and giving it to them. What is wrong with you? Don't Pharaoh, Amalek, Haman. There was another Pharaoh, another Amalek, another Haman, and another Hitler. Because you make it possible for you, New York Jew who votes Democrat, make it possible. You. Jew, make it possible for you, Temple Emmanuel Jew, make it possible. Always be another Amalek. That's where there'll always be another Haman, and that's where there'll always be another Hitler. But you make it possible. Thank you, Jacob. And Look, unfortunately, it's not just the Biden administration either funding the Albanese government here and uh, Penny Wong. Penny Wong's just basically taken another $21 million of Australian taxpayer money to give to UNRWA. <laughs> and, but she made them promise that it wouldn't be used for hate, if you can believe it or not. But, I mean, and the, the Australian taxpayer's already been contributing $70 million uh, already in aid so this is an additional 21 million um which has actually had me absolutely sick into the stomach of late um i actually pray for uh the judgment will come on these people on uh rather than you know our countries uh well look we've got a quite a number of questions today and we've haven't got the best uh feed today so um, we'll see how we go with questions, but we probably may have to limit some and hold some more over for next week. But we'll start with some of the questions from last week. And the first question, Jacob's actually in two parts. So um, first part of the question, it's dealing with the 144,000 uh, mentioned in uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, are they all males? And how did they play into the soon coming of the Lord? Uh, meaning as far as the signs of his coming. Can you repeat the question, please? Uh, yeah, it's in regards to the the 144,000 from each tribe that are sealed in the book of Revelation. Uh, are they all males? Uh, also, how do they play into the soon coming of our Lord, meaning as far as signs of his coming? Okay, I am. it's a, it's a very big subject, and we deal with it in my book, Harpezo, and we deal with it, I believe, in the book, um, No Bomb and Gilead. I am of the view that the 144,000 are literal Jews. I believe the prophecy goes back to Genesis 49 and its origins. It's continued at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, or th th that's the foundation of it. And I believe that the likelihood is that the 144,000 in Revelation 7 and the 144,000 in Revelation 14 are the same group, even though I understand the arguments of those who say they are different. Once the church is, the faithful church is raptured, once the faithful church has been removed, 
or the faithful believers have been removed. The church at that point of the rapture will not exist anymore anyway. It'll be demolished. There'll be individual believers. But the church will not have any power or cohesion. It'll be terrible persecution before the time of the hour of testing. Okay. Once the believers are taken out of here, God primarily turns his redemptive purposes back to Israel and the Jews. Primarily. This involves the two witnesses in Revelation 14. It involves certain of the prophecies of Daniel and Zechariah and Isaiah, but it certainly involves the 144,000. God turns his purposes back to the Jews. He's no longer dealing with the nations or the world through the church. He's dealing with Israel and the Jews. He goes back to an Old Testament motif. He's the God of judgment, the God of wrath. The age of grace has come to an end. The age of the church is over. The age of the Gentiles, per se, is over. The time of the Gentiles. He's again dealing with Israel. We have to understand the 144,000 in that context. Now, if you notice, the tribe of Dan is missing. Again, you'll have to avail yourself of my books if you want to know my best understanding of it. Dan is missing and had to be replaced because the tribe of Joseph, there was two tribes coming out of Joseph. Okay, That corresponds to Judas Iscariot being taken from the 12 and Matthias replacing him. The early Christians thought on that basis that the reason that the tribe of Dan was missing was because the Antichrist will be from the tribe of Dan. But this is a very complicated subject. I'd again have to point you to my books, uh, No Bomb and Gilead, Harpezo particularly. Um, that's about the most concise answer I can give you without going into great lengths. Yeah. Oh, thank okay. you, Jacob. They and will, my understanding, be males, yes. Yeah, awesome. And, and thank you for touching on the tribe of Dan because some, I know somebody else had a question about the role, um, why Dan was omitted. Um, there was a second part of this question too, and it, it's um, also concerning Revelation. Where yeah, talks, sorry, Dave. The, the omission of Dan had to do with the sin of Jeroboam II with the second golden calf. That was the background of its, of its omission. But as I said, the early Christians associated this with the if, 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 belief, if not at least speculation, that Antichrist would be from that tribe. Sorry, go ahead. Yep, no worries. Awesome. I no, appreciate that. Um, yeah, so the second part is to do with the verse, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehands, or foreheads. It gives contrast between two groups, free and bond, right hand or forehead. Question is, could it be a jizya that divides status between the two groups? That is part of it. Absolutely part of it. Don't forget Islam is submission to God. Um, it is that. While in Judaism and Christianity, the term is avdim, not dolos in, in Hebrew is avdim. It's bond servants. It's people who voluntarily choose to remain in service of their Lord. Okay? It's 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 not slavery in the sense that the Gentile nations had it. Like Judah, Islam does not have any doctrinal prohibition against slavery. Okay? 
So the answer to that question is that. However, I would go beyond that. I would go beyond that. I would also point out forms of slavery today that are not called slavery. Um, Saudi Arabia go to poor Islamic countries and hire labor, even child labor. It's happened in some of these countries and calling it employment contracts where they'll give relatively small amounts of money to get child labor or to get labor. Dubai, massive building in Chicago and Hong Kong. The people building those skyscrapers, the laborers at least, are getting paid 90 cents an hour. In the, collectively in, in the construction projects, all sorts. Today. Also, being maxed out on credit cards. The creditor becomes the master that out of it. It is slavery by another name. There's always been slavery name. In the aftermath of the American Civil War, although slavery was abolished by constitutional amendment and before Emancipation Proclamation under President Lincoln. In the Jim Crow South, they would arrest black people for stupid things, put them on chain gangs, or in some cases, as labor to plantation owners. They were perpetuating the institution of slavery on in the Jim Crow South, all the way into the early 20th century, okay? There's always been slavery by other names and it exists today, particularly in the Islamic world. However, when you've got people in massive debt on credit cards, um, they're slaves. The policies of governments designed to keep people reliant on food stamps and welfare checks. That is a master-slave relationship. It's slavery by a different name. Let's look at an example, not to politically campaign or to or to editorialize politically. Okay. Under Barack Obama, as I pointed out at least a dozen times, after two terms of Barack Obama in the United States, the average Black American family income declined by nine hundred dollars. Nine hundred dollars. The average black family was $900 a year worse off than they were before Obama was elected. Under Bush, they were better off under Obama, okay, than they were under Obama. Under Donald Trump, the average black American family income went up $1,000 in the first 11 months of his presidency. 
there was record black unemployment and record, I'm sorry, record low black unemployment and record low black youth unemployment. And he also introduced prison reform, taking blacks out of prison for nonviolent crimes. Other minorities too, but particularly blacks benefited from it. Under the Democrats, if it was not like that, their income of black families went down. They wanted it. They'll let violent criminals out of prison on the basis of being black <laughs> so they can kill other blacks. But the last thing the liberal Democratic Party, the last thing the black poverty crats, the race racocrats, the race and grievance industry, Al Sharpton and people like that and their spokesmen, the last thing Joy Reid, the last thing those people want is black upward mobility. Because that's their business. That's their bread and butter. If blacks become more affluent, more upwardly mobile, the grievance industry begins to see a decreased profit. They need an endemic level of unemployment among blacks. They need failed schools designed to fail. Where you've got students in the inner cities, most of them black, not all, but most, graduating from 12th grade with an eighth grade reading level. They need that. The last thing they want is upwardly mobile blacks. What are they doing? What does Barack Obama represent? What does Joy Reid represent? What does Al Sharpton represent? What does Lamont Hill represent? Slavery by another name. So when the scripture uses slavery, we need to understand that its definition of slavery might not be what we think it is in the modern world, something that disappeared in the 19th century in Britain and America. It, of course, has never disappeared in the Muslim world. It's still in Chad, it's still in Mauritania. Muslims still own, Arabs, Muslims still own black slaves in those countries. However, slavery means a permanent legal bondage. You've got people getting university degrees that are useless in the job market called studies, urban studies, women's studies, degrees that are virtually useless yet they have huge student debt to repay for these worthless degrees. They're going to be working to pay for the educations that are never going to recover the cost in these fields, if you want to call them fields. That's a form of slavery. Bound work with some out just remuneration. What the left-wing universities 
getting people to study things that are worth nothing? Mm -hmm. They did with subprime lending? Easy credit for people who can't afford it? Is create slavery by a different name. So when the book of Revelation talks about bonds, we understand there are who are bound. They are bound to work for somebody else out sufficient remuneration. Very often they are poor people or youth who've been bamboozled. No, <laughs> he's uh, down for the count. Sorry, what what's up? Did you hear the answer? Yeah, uh, Davey, are you there? Yeah, yes, yeah, I, I, Jacob froze from me a little. Okay. I think we're back now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it all came across, though. Did it freeze on just my end or your end? Uh, it was spotty in some a little bit, but it, I, I think the majority of it came through. Because you're oh. spotty now. It's spotty now to me. Okay. Yeah, it has been a little bit on and off. Uh, yeah, look, apologies for this. Um, okay. Thank, and but thank you for the answer to Jacob and uh, personal thanks too because that'll help with something we're looking at on Sunday too. Um, does the Jewish word Hamas, spelt C H A M A S, mean violence? And well, it, you don't spell it with a C H in the Hebrew alphabet, but I know okay. what you mean. It, it and yes, then, yeah, it could mean violence. Yes. Oh, yep. And they're wanting to know: is it the same as Hamas? H A M A. Again, both Hebrew is close to Aramaic. Arabic devolves from Aramaic. Etymologically, there's a common root, but you'd be pretty hard pressed to say one exactly means the other. Let, it's difficult to explain. Aramaic is related to Hebrew, similar to Norwegian and Swedish or something like that or similar to Portuguese and Spanish, okay? They're, they're related languages, okay? Um, Arabic comes mainly from Aramaic, okay? So therefore, there are common roots called shortishes with Hebrew. You can make, there's a linguistic link, okay? And Arabic words can sound like Hebrew words and have a related meaning but you'd be pretty hard-pressed to say it's an exact meaning. Okay? Yep. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Okay, next question. Look, and I'll apologize in advance if I'm misunderstanding um, how this question's being asked. I think I know what they're asking. Uh, with In regards to Matthew 24, verse 26, where it's referred... And they're wanting to know, does this refer only to false claims of Jesus appearing for his second coming after the abomination of desolation? Um, they say he appeared bodily to people over a week after his resurrection, like in John 20 and 21. But those appearances would have been before his ascension. So I think the question is, you know, with 
people claiming, you know, Jesus appeared physically to me, that kind of thing. Okay. Is that... it, this is what's known in the in the hermeneutics of, of, of the first century, Judeo-Christian hermeneutics of the first century, as Kalva Homer, Kalva Homer, light to heavy. Let me give you an example of Kalva Homer if you don't know. Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the fellowshipping together one with another, especially as you see the day approaching. The kal, the light, is forsake not the fellowshipping together one with another. Fellowship is always important. But the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more important it becomes, okay? Kal for Homer. Homer is the heavy Carl is the light. This is a Kalva Homer. It has a general truth and a general meaning. For instance, you've had people claiming to be the return of Christ already, like Sun Young Moon, the Lord of the Second Advent. The Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation says that Jesus physically returns under the appearances of bread and wine in the Mass. You've always had this Eucharistic Christ as a false Christ. You've always had this. That's the call. It's always been around. But in the last days, it gets really heavy. So it is a general truth, but it becomes an emphasized and amplified truth as we approach the return of Jesus. Does that answer it? Okay. Yep. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> What do you think is the reason so many Bible expositors miss Second Thessalonians chapter two verse three or misinterpret Second uh, Thessalonians two verse three, which is um, no, uh, no one to, is to deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. First of all, it's something we would all like to believe. <laughs> Okay, it's it's something we'd all like to believe in a pre-trib rapture. Secondly, because expositors specifically, or generally people who are seminary educated, that's what they were taught by their professors. <laughs> so they're products of their training and education. That's the second reason. Ministries on propagating this mistake come delusional to them. They'd have to be wrong and that their professors were wrong and that their pastors were wrong and that their parents were wrong or whoever. It's become so endemic among many premillennial Christians of which I am one that who wants to admit you're wrong? The term is called Cognitive dissonance. It's like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't like to talk about 1914 or 1915 or why these things didn't happen. They have to redefine things or find a way to explain it. Well, in the cognitive dissonance that's prevailing among pre-trib people, they're doing the same thing as the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now they're saying the apostasy is the rapture. <laughs> Traditional pre-trib people never said that. 
The original Jehovah's Witnesses never said that Jesus turned his attention to the earth in 1914. They said he was coming. It's cognitive dissonance. They've so much staked themselves and their reputations and their ministries to an error, they have to keep it alive. You see cognitive dissonance all over the place. You see it with Darwinists. When you argue with a Darwinist or you tell a Darwinist, look, in science, Charles Darwin, and we know that there is no how to be a pre-existing intelligence, says information science. Information cannot arrive at science. They can't deal with that. So they have to come and extrapolate something almost absurd. Some of them say that, well, the DNA, although it's coded information, it was seeded by terrestrials from another planet, extraterrestrials. Who created them? They get more and more absurd Of course, with artificial intelligence, they're going to think that you can devise information out of out of a vacuum. But even then, somebody had to first create the AI. You see it with Darwinists. You see it with Jehovah's Witnesses. You see it with with Marxists. <clears throat> you say to them, "Wait a minute." Karl Marx said that just as capitalism evolved out of feudalism. Communism would evolve from capitalism. He said communism would never happen in Russia. It was too feudalistic. It was the last feudal country in Russia. It would have to begin in England, the first capitalist industrialized country in Europe. Well, wait a minute. It never happened in England. It happened in Russia, the last feudal country, where he said it was impossible. They can't deal with it. It's a cognitive dissonance to them, so they have to begin trying to extrapolate some kind or, or circumlocute the facts they can't deal with. The same kind of thing that you've seen in communists, Marxists, that you've seen in Darwinists, that you've seen in Jehovah's Witnesses, the pre-trib people play, play the same game. They play the same game. They can't deal with the plain meaning of the text. So they have to say, it's reductio ad absurdum. It doesn't mean what it says. Wait a minute. It says we're going to have to know who the Antichrist is before the rapture can happen. Oh, it can't mean that. It has to mean. They engage in reductio ad absurdum argumentation because of cognitive dissonance. Those are the reasons. But don't discount the devil's tricking them. Awesome. Thank you, Jacob. I really appreciate it. And um, look, uh, just apologies. We've had a pretty bad, <laughs> bad connection today. Um, thank you for persevering with us. We still have quite a number of questions to go, but we'll hold them over for next week. But uh, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Jacob, would you like to close us out with some words of encouragement? The words of encouragement. Although it's getting darker, by the grace of Jesus, our light can shine in the darkness brighter and brighter. 
The darker it gets, the brighter our light can shine if we really love him and trust him and follow him. I say that to all of us. I say it to me. I say it to you because I believe the Lord is saying it to us. God bless. Catch you next week. Thank you. God bless.